Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Now, on this edition, let's talk about the Warrens and someone who knew them. And you might be saying, who are the Warrens, Kurt? What are you talking about? Well, you're going to have to wait and see, because first, as always, we got shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs to Liam, Izzard, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Joshua, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Paul, Rod, Ricardo, Damian, and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, George, Connie, Seth, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Trucker Jim. I like Trucker Jim. Uh, Kelly, Lauren, and Phil Mangano. Trucker Jim, you stay safe on the trucker. You know, like you're out there being a trucker. You stay safe, sir. Lauren and Phil Mangano. Russell, Tanya, Donald, April, Seth, Milldog, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, and Isaac. Hey, howdy, hi, miss you guys. Cindy, Bob, Deshaun Bishop, Cole, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsey, Hahn, Megan, Aaron, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren McCune. Hey, howdy, hi, Lily, Nick, Autumn, J. Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Darth Pikachu, Jade, Danashi, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Rutho, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Dill, Laura, Pitts, and GamerFan. A special shout-out to Joe Teague, as always. And this episode was produced by Chris Jones. Thank you once again to Chris Jones for producing this episode. Alrighty, let's get right on in to paranormal news, because there are a lot of paranormal news again. There are a lot. There is a lot. I can't speak today. There is a lot of paranormal news today, so let's get right on into it. Hey! What time is it? It's time for paranormal news. The first story in paranormal news, strange white light spotted in Chalfont... St. Saint Pe- Saint Peter, Chalfont St. Peter, with a huge crop circle also discovered in nearby fields. So uh, this one is a bizarre story about a crop circle that appeared, but there was a photo, or a, not a photo, there was a light that was spotted above it. Martin Holt, who lives in Laders Close, Chalfont St. Peter, told the Bucks Free Press he was woken up around 1 a.m. from a bright light coming from outside. He said... I first thought it was a security light or the moon. There was no sound, so I thought I would investigate. I opened up one of my windows in my bedroom, looked outside, and I could see the light. It was pure bright white. It was a great dome of light. That's the only way I can describe it. It was perfectly white, like an opaque bulb. The dome was about 100 feet high and around 30 feet tall. Absolutely enormous. Now, Mr. Holt said he continued to listen for any sounds, but didn't hear any, and then fell back asleep. In the morning... He went to vote, and on his way back, he met a neighbor and asked if she had heard or seen anything. She said, he said, she said she hadn't, so I told her what I saw, and she said, well, let's go take a look in the field. When the pair got to the nearby field, Mr. Holt said they saw a huge crop circle about 150 feet wide one way and 50 to 60 feet wide the other way. 
right in the middle of it. The other way in the middle of it. Oh, in the middle of the field. I get what he's saying. He added, um, all the grass is flat, but the weeds are standing upright, and the tops of all the trees further down on Mumford's Lane are burnt. I want to read that part again to you, because that's the part where I was like, oh, interesting. Up until this point, I was like, oh, it's some kids. They got a freaking spotlight so they could make the crop circle. But all the grass is flat. The weeds are standing upright, and the tops of all the trees further down on Mumford's Lane are burnt. It's very strange. I can't say if it was a UFO because it wasn't flying, but it was definitely an unidentified object or light, he said. That last line got me. Not the it's strange part. The, the tops of all the trees further down on Mumford's Lane are burnt. So if it is kids or people or whoever just, you know, fucking around and making crop circles, why did they, why and how, not just why, but why and how did they burn the tops of the trees? I like that one. I like that one a lot. All righty, up next in paranormal news. This one is a sad story. It's a bit bizarre. It's about a murder, so, you know, trigger warning for you all that, that don't like these. Um, man accused of murdering mom and daughter said ancient spirit lived at the home. Police found Shabazz Khan's phone, which contained searches for what is DNA and can we get DNA from burned bodies for investigations. So right then and there, I'm going to say guilty, but a builder told detectives that an ancient supernatural spirit named Robert lived at the home of a murdered psychiatrist and her teenage daughter, a court has heard. Police found the bodies of Dr. Saman or Saman Mir Sacharvi, I apologize, 49 and 14-year-old Vian Mangrio at their fire-damaged semi-detached home in Burling, Burnley, Lancashire, on the morning of October 1st last year. Uh, Shabazz Khan was arrested after CCTV, CCTV footage showed him the day before visiting the home where he'd previously carried out various repairs. Police found a bag containing items of gold jewelry worth uh, tens of thousands of pounds belonging to the clinician uh, when they searched that guy's address. So strike two against that dude. A phone containing internet searches for what is DNA, can we get DNA from burned bodies, was recovered from the address as well. But on Tuesday, jurors saw footage of Khan throw himself across his police station cell and onto his bed after he was told the room was being monitored by staff. So for me, strike three. He later explained he'd been visited by someone called Robert, who had held him by his throat and banged his head against the wall. Prosecutor David McLaughlin, QC, said... He'll tell you that Robert was and is a djinn. Aww. He'll tell you that Robert was and is a djinn. The djinn in Islamic faiths is probably best translated as a supernatural spirit, and it was Shabazz Khan, we suggest, trying to set up his defense to say he'd been attacked in a cell by a supernatural spirit. The prosecution say nonsense, absolutely nonsense. All right, that's about the end of this. Um... Khan said when he went to the house in Colne Road, he saw Robert and Rita, another apparent djinn. He said that uh, Dr. Simon told him Robert had broken a mirror because he was angry and an extension had been built in his area, and he kept moving the dining room table. Khan said that both he and the doctor had a mental health condition, and she would hit her daughter and pull her hair, forcing him to intervene the breakup. It's a really sad story, but I wanted the reason it's added, obviously, is because of the gin. If you guys don't know what the gin is, I did an entire episode about the gin. Some people like it. Some people do not like that episode. They think that it was not a good representation of the gin. But, um, you know, 
for the time, it was the best. I'm sure I'm going to do another episode on the gin. Guaranteed I will. So let's keep on keeping on. Let's go to the next story in paranormal news. Dimming Beetlejuice mystery solved. You guys don't remember, I don't know, when was it? Like 2019, 2018? Um, they, they saw this thing on, on, um, on this telescope about a changing in brightness emanating from the star Beetlejuice. It's a supergiant star, and everybody went, oh, it's a Dyson sphere. It's got to be proof of, um, you know, extraterrestrial intelligence, that they built this Dyson sphere around the sun, and we're witnessing this incredible thing. And a lot of scientists said this, too. It wasn't just, you know, kooks like me. A lot of scientists said that as well. But since then, researchers taking a closer look at the star reportedly determined that the cause of what has become known as Betelgeuse's Great Dimming was a cloud of cosmic dust. Now, you might be saying, Kurt, didn't you talk about this before? Yes, I did. That was a theory from the very get-go. But now they're saying, yeah, it's 99% positive. That's what it is. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, Congressman argues that if UFOs are real, they're likely extraterrestrial. During a recent conversation regarding the UFO phenomenon, a United States Cong congressman from Tennessee said that if they exist, <clears throat> pardon me, if they exist, UFOs are likely extraterrestrial in nature. Now, he was interviewed by TMZ, and he said that um, forthcoming Pentagon UAP reports will suggest that UFOs spotted by Navy pilots could have originated from Russia. I think that's ridiculous, he said. If the Russians had UFO technology, they would own us right now. Has to be something that's from out of this galaxy, just has to be, if it is in fact real. And then he talked about the transparency on UFOs, um, the stigmas, and all that kind of fun stuff as well, but that's the crux of that article. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, if the story ever loads. Come on, here we go. Woman in the window? Stanley Hotel visitor captures unexplained image during ghost tour, which makes me very happy because for the longest time, the Stanley Hotel said they were not doing ghost tours. So a tourist from Texas who visited the Stanley Hotel last month on vacation says she captured an image on film that she can't explain. I decided to do one of those ghost tours of the hotel with my friends. They tell you to take pictures, so I took a ton. You can ask my family. I took at least two to three pictures in a row of the same thing. Kimberly said she didn't see anything in the window on the third floor during the tour. She said she took the first photo at 9.03 p.m. on May 27th and another less than a minute later. There was no one in the windows when I took those photos. My friends were taking photos as well, and they didn't see it either until I looked back at my photos. Now, she says she thinks the image looks like a woman or a girl. Some people are saying curtains. The uh, curtains are the exact same in every window. They're all see-through. And if it was curtains, what is the dark area that looks like hair and skin tone? That can't be a shadow. All right, I took a look at this photo. It's not curtains. 100%, it is not curtains. If this photo is real, it's a woman looking out a window in a white dress. She has long brown hair. To me, it looks like a cardboard cutout. She says, if it was a mannequin, I would have seen it while taking the photo and others would have got it on camera as well. Besides, I took a photo at 9.03 and 9.04 and it's there in one and not the other. That's the part that I really liked about that. Kimberly responded to claims from critics who said the photo looks uh, photoshopped and it does. It, it really does. She says, that's not the case. I have no idea how that even works. Now, CBS4 reached out to representatives from the Stanley Hotel and shared and shared, asked them to respond. That makes no sense. 
and asked them to respond to Kimberly's image, and uh, they said they have no explanations. We respectfully decline to comment on the photos. The, the Stanley Hotel offers a folklore night tour. The, the evening tour takes you to a darkened space and introduces you to the active phenomena and tells you tales of the spirited folklore surrounding our 100-plus-year-old hotel, perfect for those interested in the paranormal tales surrounding the Stanley. Each tour offers you the opportunities to explore, ask questions, and perhaps leave with a few stories of your own. So, again... I'll put the photo up on Facebook. You guys tell me what you think. It does look kind of Photoshopped or like a cardboard cutout to me, but she says she doesn't know Photoshop. She says it's not in the first photo or the photo right before it or the photo right after it. So, very, very interesting. I have no idea what to think. But more importantly, Stanley Hotel, if you're listening to this, please have me out there to do a live episode from the Stanley Hotel. I would absolutely love to do a live episode from the Stanley Hotel. I think it would be fantastic. We could have you know, a, a fan meetup. We can do a bunch of cool, fun stuff from the Stanley Hotel and do a ghost hunt there. It's something, it's one of the places I've been wanting to do a ghost hunt for the longest time and can't afford or uh, don't have the time to go and do one. Okay, up next in paranormal news, this can't be real. Shelby woman says she's seen Sasquatch in the woods by her home. She says the Sasquatch sighting started back in March. Footprints are her proof. This comes from Shelby, uh, North Carolina. She said she's seeing something very strange in the woods behind her home. Sometimes I think this can't be real, Vicki Cook said. It went in front of my camera. Vicki Cook's video is grainy, but her conscience is clear. She says, I screamed. I didn't know what it was, but that thing was tall. She says the Sasquatch sighting started back in March. Footprints are her proof. I think I've counted about eight different sized prints. This is a juvenile, but look at how long it is. That's a big, big print. For uh, centuries, trackers have been trying to, ah, blah, blah, blah. We are, you guys know what a Bigfoot is. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Uh, she said it was, um, oh, John Bruner, who documents sightings across the country, says it was huge. It was on two legs. It was bipedal. The hair on the head of the body was really stringy and matted looking. Cook says she doesn't want her neighbors going hungry. Mostly... They like candy, cookies, they love peanut brittle, chocolate, peanut butter sandwiches. They don't like apples or bananas. So there you go. If you want to feed a Bigfoot, apparently they got a sweet tooth, and apparently they're seen regularly in Shelby, North Carolina. That's where it was, right? Yeah, Shelby, North Carolina. Yeah. I want to see a Bigfoot. Come on. Ah, here we go. Up next in paranormal news. Whoa. What just happened? Uh-oh. Wow, my computer just shut off. Interesting. All righty, we are back. I had a little uh, computer problem. It uh, just shut off right in the middle of uh, me trying to read something. The next story in paranormal news, J.J. Abrams and Showtime will solve this UFO thing once and for all with a new docuseries. That's right. J.J. Abrams says his Bad Robot Productions is teaming with Showtime for a four-part docu-series that delves into the wild world of unidentified flying objects. It's called UFO. That's cool. I'm very excited. I really like J.J. Abrams. I really like his work. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. The uh, little press article thing says ignited by the bombshell New York Times story in 2017 revealing that the Pentagon had secretly been tracking UFOs for years this series examines the history of the phenomena through cultural and political touch points including shocking testimony from eyewitnesses across the country 
As the conversations grow more bizarre and reaches the mainstream by virtue of credible investigations into alien encounters, UFO confronts the most enig enigmatic, enigmatic, blah, enigmatic questions of all. Why do we believe what we believe? And what is the elusive truth beyond this decades-long mystery? Look, I'm excited about that. I really want to watch that. Like I said, I really like J.J. Abrams. Alrighty, finally. Something's going on. UFOs threaten national security, U.S. politicians warn. Some members of Congress were given advanced details about the Pentagon report, which is scheduled to be released next week, June 25th. A group of senior American politicians have warned that UFOs pose a national security concern after getting a confidential briefing on a highly anticipated report on unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, some members of Congress says that uh, clearly something's going on that we can't handle. In recent years, a series of, oh, we already know all that. I think it's important to understand that there are legitimate questions involving the safety and security of our personnel and in our operations and in our sensitive activities. We all know that there's a proliferation of technologies out there. We need to understand the space a little better. Last week, uh, Luis Elizondo, the former director of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ATIP, told the Washington Post that UAPs pose a serious threat. In this country, we've had incidents where the UAPs have interfered and actually brought offline our nuclear capabilities. We also have data suggesting that in other countries, these things have interfered with their nuclear technology and actually turned them on, putting them online. One theory is the UAPs could be advanced Chinese or Russian aircraft, but Burchett dismissed this uh, saying, I think it's ridiculous. Oh, I already read that part. Elizondo says, we're quite convinced that we're dealing with a technology that is multi-generational, several generations ahead of what we consider next generation technology. So what we, what we would consider beyond next generation technology, something that could be anywhere between 50 to 1,000 years ahead of us. That is cool. That is very cool and not surprising at all if you've been paying attention. Alrighty, let's take a quick break and we'll get right into this episode. We are back. Alright, on this edition, let's talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren and one of their cases, mostly one of their cases. Now, this isn't the first time I've talked about them. It definitely won't be the last. And I didn't know really how to get started about just Ed and Lorraine Warren. You'll see why in a minute. But let's just get started where they got involved with the paranormal. I don't have to go back to the beginning. They were born in the 20s. They got married. High school sweethearts. They have a kid. Whatever. Let's get to where they got involved with the paranormal. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, NESPR, N-E-S-P-R, which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. Let me just say, that alone makes me respect Ed and Lorraine Warren. I've got some opinions on them, but that alone makes me respect them. At a time when it wasn't cool or part of the culture, definitely not part of the podcast community, you know, paranormal just wasn't a thing. No one really talked about it. And if they did, it was kind of, you know, some people laughed about it. It was a joke kind of a thing to a lot of the society. It kind of still is, but not as much back then. I mean, these, at that time, these things just weren't talked about. They definitely weren't investigated and they definitely weren't 
There wasn't an organization really set up to try and help people that had issues that are paranormal. They had things happening to them that they couldn't explain. They had nowhere to reach out to. There was no who you going to call kind of a thing prior to Ed and Lorraine Warren. So again, this is not a put down episode about Ed and Lorraine Warren, even though it's going to kind of seem like that in just a minute. It really isn't. I give them a lot of respect and a lot of credit for what they kind of started and some of what they did. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren were two of the earliest paranormal investigators and also self-proclaimed demonologists. They were very religious, which, again, is kind of impressive to me that they could be so religious and also investigate the paranormal. As you guys know, when I even kind of broached the topic of religion and the paranormal, I get a lot of flack from a lot of people. There are a lot of religious people that immediately say, oh, you know, you're just part of the devil trying to trick me and you should burn in hell and all that other fun stuff that they say to me. But these guys did it in 1952 and were very religious. They claim to investigated well over 10,000 paranormal cases. Now, sadly, they have both passed away now. But um, I, again, since I don't like talking too disparagingly about dead people, let me just say... Hmm. I don't know how to word that. I, um, let me just say, I don't 100% agree with them or the way they did some of their cases or how they may have not exactly helped some people that had, let's just say, mental issues. I also personally 100% do not like how they didn't help Debbie Moffat. Debbie Moffitt, again, is one of my favorite episodes and seems to be a lot of your guys' favorite episodes. Debbie is a wonderful woman that had a horrific thing that continued to happen to her, you know, back in the day. And she reached out to the Warrens. Now, if you don't know about the Debbie Moffitt story or what the Warrens did, I think it's talked about when I interviewed Debbie Moffitt. So listen to that episode. Now, I'm just going to leave it at that about my personal opinions about Ed and Lorraine Warren. But since I don't want to talk about negative about him, here's what skeptics Perry DeAngelis and Stevie Novella say. Since they've actually investigated the Warrens themselves, they they interviewed them extensively, and they looked at their evidence, which they described as, quote, Blarney. They said, The Warrens call their organization the New England Society for Psychic Research, which, yes, They did again. They started in 1952. So I'm going to pause again and say good on them for taking on the paranormal. But back to the skeptics, they said, as we will see, they are, quote, a research organization in name only. Their website proudly proclaims, quote, our mission is to move the area of psychic phenomena out of the dark ages into the the mainstream rigorous scientific thought and inquiry, which, again, Kurt here, that's true. That was their... Um, proclamation. That was their mission. And I have no problem with that. I completely agree with that. And I've said it numerous times on this podcast that I personally think that science will prove the paranormal. But these two guys, these two skeptics, Perry and Steven said, upon investigation, their methods lack the components of rigorous scientific thought. I'm sorry. They, they, uh, that, that lack the components of genuine scientific inquiry. There we go. 
They said upon their investigation, the, the Warren's methods lack the components of genuine scientific inquiry or even the most fundamental attempts at scientific rigor. They said rather than an earnest search for the truth, regardless of what that may be, their society seeks only to support their priory assumption that the phenomenon is real. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with that. Ed and Lorraine Warren went into everything thinking everything is real. As you guys know, that is not my take on things. I think there is a lot of BS, and I think there's a lot of stuff that's real. And when you filter out that BS, the real stuff is even more impressive to me as well. Uh, to me, anyway. Um, so they said that uh, shortly after meeting Ed and Lorraine Warren, two things became very clear to them. One, they were sincere. The Warrens were 100% sincere. They believed the things they said. And two, they have precious little evidence to support their beliefs. What they do have in abundance are ghost stories. Yeah, I mean, you got 10,000 plus cases of some of the most horrific paranormal demonic cases. You should have some evidence to back up some of your claims to skeptics. Now, the Warrens had an occult museum in the basement of their house. More on that later. And when Perry and Stephen visited, they said, On the museum tour, Ed warned us not to touch anything in the main room, as we would open ourselves up to possible possession. If we did accidentally rub against something, which was nearly unavoidable in that cram space, we were to report it so that Ed could purify our auras before we left. They said that the room was a clutter of collected stuff garnered over the Warner's 40-year career. Boy, I would have loved to have walked through that. They said it included paintings, masks, statuettes, and many books. One of these ghostly tomes was, and this one makes me laugh, was an unearthed arcana, a Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game book. Yeah. Sorry, Warrens. Unless it was possessed by something, having a Dungeons & Dragons book does not make it evil or satanic, despite what the 70s wanted you to think. Uh... Ed claimed that the most dangerous item in the house was a Raggedy Ann doll that you guys should know as Annabelle. If you don't know, listen to that episode. Uh, Annabelle was said to be st uh, still possessed by a demonic entity. Like I said, you, you guys should know about Annabelle. I did an episode about her and other possessed items. Uh, if you don't, here's a quick recap. According to the Warrens, in 1968, two roommates claimed the Raggedy Ann doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. The Warrens took the doll telling the roommates it was being manipulated by an inhuman presence and put it on display in the family's occult museum, which, unfortunately, when they passed, was closed. A lot of the stuff seems to have been sold, but I can't find out where everything is. But that, but Annabelle, is now owned by Zach Baggins. No comment. Uh, back to the skeptics. They said that the Warrens did, however, give us one of their other pieces of video evidence. This, show, uh, this video showed a man dematerializing and it was taken by a mounted camera in a dining room in the middle of the night during one of their investigations. On the tape, a young man walks into the room, scratches his head, and then poof, disappears. The uh, extraordinary occurrence is quickly followed by a ghost light appearing momentarily on the window behind the scene. They said that they gladly accepted the take. They took it back to a HB group, which is a professional video company, for detailed video analysis. And here's an excerpt of that analysis. 
We are witnessing a wipe in this segment of the videotape. Although there are several ways in video editing to achieve a wiping effect, the most simple of the ways has been employed here. Deliberately or accidentally, the camcorder stopped recording on the final frame of the person in the room and resumed recording just a few seconds after that person had moved outside of the view of the camera. Yeah. Oh, uh, they went on to say that that mysterious dot of light is probably caused by the reflection through the dining room window of the headlights of a passing car. The passing headlights can be seen if you watch the right-hand side of the screen just after the dot of light fades out. Yeah, look, that is... I don't know anybody that hasn't done that little video editing of poofing something where you you walk in, you're, you know, you could walk into the frame, you could be holding a bottle of iced tea, someone hits pause on the camera, walks in, takes that bottle of iced tea out of your hand, hits record again, and it's gone out of your hand. It poofed, it dematerialized. It's like a bewitched version of a special effect. So, all right, enough with... Um, Enough with the debunking. I just wanted to put that in there for the skeptics and, again, to kind of round out this episode. Honestly, this isn't a slam the Warrens episode. I just wanted to put both sides to the story because some people 100% believe them. Others 100% just do not, and I'm somewhere right in the middle. They, uh, they did, Like I said, they did a lot of amazing things for the paranormal community. I would have loved to have met them. I would have loved to have interviewed them. I would 100% love to walk through their museum. And 1,000% I would love to go through their, their cases. But other skeptical investigators, Joe Nickel and Benjamin Radford, concluded that the better-known hauntings, like the Amityville, yes, that Amityville, the Amityville horror case, which was first investigated by the Warrens. So that's, again, a very impressive thing. But they said that Amityville case and the Snedeker, the Snedeker family haunting just did not happen and had been invented. And again, the reason I bring those two up is those are two of the most disputed of their cases. I'll just put it that way. Now, hopefully a lot of the Warren cases sound familiar. If not, you might want to watch The Conjuring movies because guess what? The Conjuring movies are basically about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Well, they take a kernel of truth and then Hollywoodize the cases and the Warrens and everything else. But again, more on that in just a little bit. All righty. So that's a little backstory on the Warrens. Like I said, they investigated a ton of paranormal cases and had files on tons more. And like I just said, I would definitely love to go through their files because I guarantee you, there are lesser-known paranormal cases that could still be investigated today. The Warrens passed away in, like, early-mid-2000s, so they have relatively recent cases with witnesses that are still alive. Look, if you ever reached out to the Warrens to investigate something, and for some reason you're listening to this episode right now, please, please, please... Email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com because I want to pick up where they left off. Or maybe they didn't even respond to your cases. Maybe you reached out to the Warrens and they never responded. Or you reached out to the Warrens and they said they couldn't help you. Email me. I Again, I would love to pick up where they left off. And more importantly, I would love to go through their cases and try to find some of these real witnesses that are still alive and talk to them directly. Because that's the stuff that interests me. The stuff like 
Yeah, I love watching documentaries on stuff as long as they have people, actual eyewitness people in the documentaries. I, I love hearing from the people themselves. Alrighty, with all that being said, let's get to the exciting part of this episode because I was lucky enough to get to interview someone who actually knew the Warrens from a very young age. Now, it's a guy named Jeff Bellinger who is host, writer, and producer of the New England Legends series on PBS and on Amazon Prime. He also hosts the New England Legends weekly podcast, which I think I've heard from a couple people like, hey, you should listen to this podcast. Yeah, you should listen to that podcast. His books include The World's Most Haunted Places, Weird Massachusetts, Our Haunted Lives, and Who's Haunting the White House? Now, that last book might sound familiar to you because... My most famous guest host, Elijah Hendrickson. He actually used that book, Jeff's book, as research for his Haunted White House Paranormal Almanac episode, which, sadly, I never got time to tell Jeff about because we had a very, very, very tight time frame for the interview, and we just never got to it. It got The interview got kind of cut off. Uh, before I could tell him about it. So, Jeff, if you're listening to this episode, please find that episode about um, haunted White Houses because I got to tell you, Elijah did a killer job on that episode thanks in part to your research. So, it's it was very fun to talk to Jeff. I don't want to, you know, like, like I said, it was very tight of a time frame, but it was a very fun chat with Jeff. I had the chance to talk to him because of Discovery Plus's new shock doc, Shock Docs, The Devil Made Me Do It, which premiered uh, Friday, June 11th, and examines the harrowing events that lead up to the murder and the astonishing court case that followed, offering a behind-the-scenes look at what actually happened. And if you don't know what happened, well, again, in a very small, taken directly from Wikipedia kind of nutshell way, in 1981, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was accused of killing his landlord, Alan Bono. Ed and Lorraine Warren, who had been called prior to the killing to deal with the demonic position of the younger brother of Johnson's fiance. Now, the Warrens claim that Johnson was also possessed. Arnie was possessed. At trial, Arnie said well, he pled not guilty by reason of demonic possession. And this story was the kernel of truth for the new Conjuring movie, The Devil Made Me Do It, hence that shock doc title, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, the case was described in 1983 book, uh, The Devil in Connecticut by Gerald Brittle. Arnie Johnson, 19, stabbed Alan Bono, 40, more than 20 times with a pocket knife on February 16, 1981. The small community of Brooklyn, uh, Brookline, Connecticut, was shocked at the murder because it was the first in their 193-year history, but that was nothing compared to the self-defense of guilty by reason of demonic possession. Uh, Johnson moved into the home of his girlfriend, Debbie Glatzel, in May of 1980, a month before her brother David began to, uh, began to claim he was being tormented by a demon. Now, his family sought help from the Catholic Church and from Ed and Lorraine Warren, who performed four minor rites of exorcism to expel the 42 demons allegedly contained in David's body. Just a little kid, 42 demons. But during one such uh, exorcism, Arnie actually challenged the demons to enter him instead. He was trying to do the right thing by saying, you know, leave this poor kid alone, take me on, you know, like pick on someone your own size kind of a thing. And not long after, Arnie, who again had no prior criminal record, stabbed Bono to death. 
I should say stabbed Alan Bono because I don't want you to think he stabbed Bono from you two. All right, the case was known as the Devil Made Me Do It case. Um, the uh, defense attorney actually cited two British court cases that had permitted a defense of, based on possession by demons. The, uh, the judge refused the tactic, stating that such assertions would be could not be scientifically or objectively proven by evidence. So um, they uh, argued self-defense instead. He was far, Arnie was found guilty of first-degree manslaughter on November 24th, 1981. He received a sentence of 10 to 20 years, of which he served five for good behavior. For you skeptics, the most notable development in the case since uh, Arnie's release came in 2007 when Carl, who was the middle Glatzel child, not the one that was possessed and not the one that obviously that Arnie was dating, Carl, the middle child, claimed... The Warrens had fabricated the whole story using their family tragedy to gain notoriety. No comment on that. That's just something that came up in 2007 about this case, so I wanted to throw it in there again for you skeptics. So I actually remember this case when I was a kid. I would have been, like, what, 11 or something at that time? I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember that it made the news that this guy was trying to say guilty by reason of demonic possession. So I remembered a little bit about the case. I'll talk to um, talk to Jeff about that as well. But I remember a little bit about the case, and I remember thinking like how insane it was that the court would actually hear demonic possession as a possible, you know, defense. It was a very bizarre time. Again, it was 81, so it was still kind of early on in that paranormal stuff as well, but a very, very interesting case. If you guys want to read up on it, there's a lot of really interesting stuff about it. If you want to see the Conjuring movie, it's all about it. But again, a kernel of truth version that's been Hollywoodized. It's more truthful than the rest of the Conjuring movies, I can tell you that, based on the cases, but not 100% accurate by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, let's get right in to my interview with Jeff. Again, thank you, Jeff, for taking the chance, or taking the chance, eh, taking the chance, and taking the time to talk with me because I had, it was a great conversation. I wish we had more time. I wish we had a full hour or more to really chat about some of the stuff that, that Jeff did. I really wanted to talk to him about New England legends. I really wanted to talk to him about, like, hunting urban legends, what he thought about urban legends. They're just We just ran out of time. So, Jeff, if you're listening and you didn't hate my... Um, both sides of the Warren's tale beginning of this episode, please reach back out to me. I would love to do a full, another full interview with you because again, I really enjoyed your, I really enjoyed the talk. I really enjoy your work. I think it would be a lot of fun to, to chat with you more in depth about the other stuff that you do. All right, let's get right on in to my chat with Jeff Bellinger. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm sitting on a rainbow yourself. Oh, I'm loving it. Uh, me too. Just, uh, you know, just living the dream here. <laughs> Excellent. So I guess my first question is, how right does the internet necessarily have that story for The Devil Made Me Do It? Oh, that's not a fair question at all. <laughs> that's why I started in, with it. <laughs> the internet? Uh, well, of course, some places on the internet have it pretty close to right. Uh, some places have it wildly off and everything in between. That's the thing about the internet, right? It's it's all out there. Yeah, you know, trying to trying to research these kind of topics for my podcast, I often say, you know, you know, depending where you get your research, it's either this creature has blue blue fur or it has no fur and it's got giant horns. You know, it's like 
like you, you never know where you're going with the internet. Uh, yeah. How about course. you? How about you personally? Did you find out anything about this case when you did your research? So here's the thing. I felt a pretty personal connection to this case because I grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, which is where it all began. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. um, and I knew Ed and Lorraine Warren since I was 12 years old. And so, uh, you know, when you grow up in that area, this is a case that people sort of knew about, you know, especially if you were interested in weird things. And, uh, the Warrens back then were very much regional celebrities. They were not, they're way more famous now. Oh, sure. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, because of the movies. But, um, so back then, in the fall, Ed and Lorraine Warren would do these programs where they would go around and to libraries and various organizations and they would share their research. And I remember hearing the voice that's actually used in the documentary of the kid of David Glatzel, like his voice altered. And I just remember being chilled. And, and, and also in the interest of full disclosure, I was raised Roman Catholic. Oh, so, wow. So from a young age, I was told, yeah, this happens, it's possible. And yeah. you know, there's, there's things that we do for that. And so this was the case this was a big one for them. And uh, I think because you get to hear from Arnie Johnson and Debbie Glatzel in the documentary, there's nobody closer to the case than those two, right? I mean, they were yeah. there at every step. So I think this is about the best you're going to do of hearing it from the horse's mouth. See, and I like that about this because I hate when I like finally watch a documentary about a topic that I've always wanted to know and there's nobody actually connected to the topic in it. It's just people like, you know, talking heads like me that go, well, you know, I've known about this since, you know, 2001. I'm like, no, no, it happened right. in the 70s. Come on. Yeah, it was 1980. Yeah, it yeah, was 1980. Yeah, yeah. Close enough. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So yeah, this case was, um, and I, I moved to Newtown in the, in the mid 80s. And so this was kind of going around that, oh, there was exorcisms and things like that. And it, this one was just, a, I think it was so big for Ed, Ed Warren specifically, because he thought this was his opportunity to prove his life's work in the court of law. Like, oh, sure. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Have a judge prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Validation for something paranormal is almost never, ever done or never, you know, finally realized. Everybody tries to do it, but it's the paranormal. <laughs> it's very hard to do. I gave up. I gave up years ago uh, because the reality is uh, this the phenomena has been proven to millions upon millions of people the yep. world over, the, the people who go through it. And then if you, if you disbelieve because that's your belief system, what am I going to say that's going to convince you? No. I'm, I'm right there with you. I get, you know, I constantly get people go, you do a paranormal podcast. You must run out of stuff after like the 10th episode. I'm like, no, no, I've been doing it for three plus years and I've got topics galore that I haven't touched yet. And then they go, well, it's all fake. And then when I say, well, what about X, Y, and Z? Well, I, I didn't, I didn't know about that. Or I just don't believe it. I mean, it's that quick, I don't believe kind of a thing. But I remember well, hearing about this case when I was a kid. I mean, it was a big, like you said, it was a national case. It was the first, not just necessarily the first demon case I'd ever heard of, but the first demon case going to court that I've ever heard of. Well, yeah, it's it's not the first I've ever heard of. The one I heard before this one was uh, 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts. Sure, I don't know if you remember that. Sure, remember yeah, that yeah, yeah. I don't know how old you are. Well, I don't want to date you, Kurt. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, when I was in school, they just went, oh, and then there was witches in Salem, and that was the end of it. And then, right. then you turn on the news. Back in the day, you only had like three channels. You turn on the news, and they're talking about an exorcism of a demon, and this guy committed murder and it's in court. This is like real. It wasn't like these little time life books that I had when I was a kid. No, absolutely. And, and this was, uh, I, I, 
I think it was an opportunity for Ed Warren to try to like, you know, get his hand in this. If, if the Warrens weren't involved in this case, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Sure. Like they just, they, the, they were the ones that called in all the media that said, Hey, like, let's, let's put the devil on trial. Now the devil did get his, his trial in the court of public opinion for sure. And oh, yeah. I, I love, and you can see some of it in the documentary where there's uh man on the street interviews from like 1981, what news crews, like local news crews that, like, oh, I think this is crazy. Well, do you believe in God? Of course I believe in God. Yeah. Well, oh, then, yeah. Do you believe in the devil? Well, yeah, I guess I have to. And you can see the discomfort yep. come over people. And you're like, oh, yeah. Like, of course, they start to get a little bit uncomfortable because you go, yeah, I guess you're not really allowed to believe in one without the other. Exactly. Especially when when the one is teaching you about the other as well. I mean, you know, you go to church, you hear about all the horrors of hell. And if you're not good Christian, you're going to go to hell. And then there's the devil. And you know, you constantly hear that stuff growing up, and it scared me. I grew up Lutheran, and I was terrified, terrified yeah. of being possessed or meeting a demon or anything even remotely like that. Where did you grow up, Kurt? I grew up in Detroit. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so that's interesting. You remember hearing about this case. Because, yeah. you, you know, when I, th when I grew up, I thought of the Warrens as like New England, New York, New Jersey, you know, like the Northeastern United States. Yeah. Uh, I know, I know they got around and worked on other cases. They even, you know, got international a little bit, but, oh, sure. Um, sure. but, but they were, when, so when I was a kid, like there'd be a, a house on main street and that so your friends would say, Oh, you know, that house is haunted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yep. And they say, yeah. Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated. And oh, that was, that's awesome. That's, that's how you, you, you know, you put the period on the sentence, you drop the mic, right? You said, no, 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 they investigated it. Oh, that's, oh, okay. Then it's haunted. Yeah. That's, that's that. the legit ones. Like when I was a kid, they were like, you know, that house is haunted. It's got a devil dog in it. And you were like, okay, it's just obviously something that kids say to scare other kids. But when you add on Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated it, oh, that would have, that would have scared me straight right then and there. Yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously what I do today is due in part to their influence. You know, I mean, not only did I grow up in an area that we were sort of matter of fact about talking about our hauntings, but seeing them from a young age, I've, when I was my first job, I was a newspaper reporter. I interviewed them for the Halloween episode and nice. got to go to their house and be in their museum and meet Annabelle uh, oh, back before Annabelle was amazing. so famous. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. Oh yeah. Simple, it, it, simple looking Raggedy Ann doll that my grandmother had one of. Yeah. Yeah. So that scared me more because my sister had the same exact doll on her <laughs> bed and I was like, Oh my God. You know, and I was inches from Annabelle and I heard the story and, you know, Ed of course tells it so well. And, um, oh, yeah. and so it's so interesting to see their case files now being turned into these major motion pictures. And changing the narrative, of course. Oh, because sure. Oh, yeah. Pe people see the movie, the Hollywood movie, and it says based on a true story, and they think they're watching a documentary. Yep. But they're not. <laughs> you know, yeah, not there's even definitely close. that Hollywood spin. There's that kernel of truth, and then that Hollywood spin that goes off from it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first movie, I think, was the most guilty of just taking as whatever liberties there's, you know, yep. they were held held by nothing. Um, this, this, the latest one, Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, uh, it, it follows closer yeah. than some of the others, but still, uh, you know, the rea I think the reality is actually more frightening, right? Because, oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, when you live, when you live with a haunting, especially something dark, 
if something was trying to tear you apart 24 seven, like you just, you leave, you know, you just, you'd get out of the house, you'd run away. Sure. Uh, yeah. But this, you know, sometimes things got quiet for a couple of days and then you think maybe it's over, but you're still on edge and then it starts again. And uh, this family went through something profound and you can see it when you hear Debbie relay what she watched her, her brother, David go through sure. her young brother. When you see her like tear up talking about, you know, seeing him get beaten by unseen forces and that this poor kid was being tortured and there's nothing anybody could do. Like something shook up this family for sure. Now, do you think that, I mean, I definitely agree with you when you, when you actually hear from the people themselves, it definitely lends, lends credence to it and it, and it humanizes it and you can sure. relate to it more. And the, and that's one of the things about the movie that, I mean, again, you're right. It did, it followed the, the line a lot, a lot closer, but it, get, it definitely went Hollywood on me. And that's the thing that always bums me out is when it goes Hollywood, because like you were saying, the truth is way more scarier. And that truth, that story in general, that specific story is terrifying enough that you don't need to glamorize the Hollywood aspects and the, the, the jump scares and everything. But right. do you, do you think that it's helping the validity of Ed and Lorraine's work, or do you think it's just opening them up to a new audience? Or what do you think about the way oh. that they're they're portraying them? You mean the movies? Yeah, the, the movies. The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Conjuring movies. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, it's like I said, it's made them really famous. Sure. But what stinks for them is that when when people start to realize just how you know how far off the movies go, yeah. then I think they start to think, well, maybe Ed and Lorraine were just frauds that made all this stuff up. And they didn't make it up. Hollywood writers made that up. Exactly. Uh, and so it's it's tough. You know, I don't know if you uh, pay attention to say anything in our culture, but we have blend, we've put fiction and nonfiction in a blender and hit puree. There is, <laughs> yeah, there is, like, well, like I was saying earlier, there's that quick way of going, nope, I don't believe it. Even if you show them the fact, nope, I don't believe it. You're right. It's that, that you don't know that the truth is definitely fluid right now. Um, but, but so what I think we need people to do though, and this is all I've ever asked of any, any of my audiences and any of my work, right. Is please check it out for yourself. Like yeah. do your own research, ask your own questions. It's so easy to say, I've never seen a demon. Therefore there's no such thing. Sure. Sure. Until you encounter something. And, and I also get the danger of labels, by the way, like I know, I mean, look, man, there's evil in the world. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, we all have the news, you know, we know <laughs> yes. people do evil things and there's good in the world. And uh, I, I understand labeling something demon will put some people off, call it something else if you want. Right. But something bad was happening to this family. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And, you know, uh, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, the, the people that don't do the research are the mass, the, the vast majority of the people. And right. it's almost like the second coming of the backlash of the, the Warrens, because they had a little bit of a backlash. I'll say early nineties is when I remember it. Maybe it was a little later, but they had a little bit of backlash. People were saying, you know, well, I think everything that they were doing wasn't harmful, but it wasn't true. And it always bothered me because again, they did, they did so many cases and a lot yeah. of cases that aren't even really famous. And I'm sure eventually they'll get, you know, Hollywood will get around to them, but they did so many cases and helped out so many people with the paranormal that even if, 60% of it is true. That's still 60% of these cases that are just absolutely incredibly unexplainable. So in the, in New England area, if you had something weird going on, keep in mind, there was no internet, you know, yeah. there was no reality TV series investigating ghosts on like every channel. It was, you, you ask someone and someone said, Oh, there's this 
couple, the Warrens, they investigate. I was in their house interviewing Ed one day for some project and their phone listed in the phone book, by the way, you could just call and say, you know, Ed Lorraine Warren in, in you know, Monroe, Connecticut, and they would connect you rang all day, just one really? phone call after that. Lorraine would pick it up and I would just hear one side of it, you know, and she'd just be like, hello. Oh yes, honey. Oh honey. That sounds bad. You know? Uh, oh, wow. do you have a Ouija board in the house? Oh honey, you got to get rid of that. Like, and so she over and that, that phone call would just, she could play a recording of herself, you know, just, it was again and again. And I'm like, wow. Cause no one had anywhere else to go. Sure. So these people were just buried and, and, you know, they don't get any money for taking that phone call. Like it was, it was just finding these cases, putting them in books, sharing them in their lectures. Um, I, I've been to their house was not a mansion, a split level ranch in Monroe, just a simple home. And, um, and these guys made their life's work looking for stuff that bumps in the night, oh, especially yeah. the darker stuff. Ed, you know, Ed labeled himself a demonologist long before anybody yeah. else that I, I mean, you know, anyone besides a Catholic priest. Sure. Uh, and so he was, he was going, uh, you know, after evil stuff way, way back. And not only that, he viewed himself as a kind of warrior, a spiritual warrior. You know, it wasn't just about looking for ghosts. He was a very Roman Catholic person and he was trying to uh, fight evil. He, you know, and, and the tools for that were his, you know, his holy relics, his crosses, his sure. holy water. Um, and then also he wanted to document, he wanted to get audio recordings and video recordings of, and photographs of the, the phenomenon he was experiencing. He see, wanted to prove it, prove see, it to the world. That amazes me because usually if someone is that, a, that much of a devout Christian, they, you know, don't look on the paranormal. They look down on everything is evil. You can't talk about the paranormal. The paranormal is evil, you know, whatever. So it's interesting to me that he had both sides of it. He had the paranormal scientific investigator mind, but he also had that religious belief background. That's really impressive to me. Now, yeah, so, oh, no, sorry, but I, because I think, no, I think because if someone said they have a problem, right? Like, you know, modern day paranormal investigators, Hey, I'm actually scared in my house. Well, I took EMF readings. I've got audio recordings of EVP. I got this strange anomalous photo. Great. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> I've often said, I'll say it on my podcast constantly, that I do believe that one day science will prove the paranormal. And, and you know, you can take that to mean it any way you want. But I honestly sure. think that that is going to be how finally we get vindicated. The, the people like me or the rest of my family think I'm crazy talking about this stuff. That's how we will get vindicated, just like kind of what's going on with the UFOs now. Um, but do you know what happened to their files? And even the like, I know some of the stuff from the occult museum where it went, but the rest of the stuff from the occult museum and their personal stuff, the the stuff that you were just talking about that he had, do you know what happened to the rest of that 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 stuff, their cases? Well, their son-in-law, Tony Spera, took a lot of it because um, he still gives talks and things like that on, um, on, on their work and their case files. He's got a lot of their videos. Uh, I believe a lot of those files were sold to the movie company. Um, That's what who I was bought, afraid of. Bought all those rights. And I hope there's a copy somewhere. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I wasn't privy to any of that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, and so there, there's, and, and as long as these movies continue to be successful, I imagine we're going to see more of their cases going on the big screen. Oh, definitely. And I, like I said, I think there there's some cases that, that, demand a movie be made of them that are not their most famous cases. And I hope that's the case as well. So just real quick, the yeah. craziest thing to me is the conjure, the original conjuring movie and case. They never talked about it. Yeah. Like Ed got punched in the face and was told, get the hell out of my house. That's how it ended. Yeah. That's how the real case ended. And so, 
you know, like, and that one was made into the movie, which, and by the way, fun movie. Like, oh, I, I loved it. Like, I've it was super yeah. fun. Yeah, they're yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, wow, that was, I mean, they talked about Amityville. They talked about this case. Devil Made Me Do yeah. It. They talked about this one way back all the time. Um, so they chose that one. And, and I'll, I'll be curious where, where they go with it next. But, uh, but the reality is, I think that this darker stuff intrigues us, especially, yeah. You know, if you're raised around the church and you're told there's good and there's evil and there's yeah. angels and demons and God and devil. And, uh, you know, this is the scary stuff, because what happens when something gets loose, something that just wants to hurt? Sure. Uh, you know, a ghost, I think we could sort of relate to a ghost, right? The idea that, well, you're a person, I'm a person. You lived here, just not now. You lived here before. Exactly. And There's got to so be an I, afterlife. They talk about it in the Bible. Sure. Uh, right. So but you could sort of that ghost is not quite as frightening because you think of it as a person. But demon, yeah. like now you're now you're dealing in a whole other realm here. Like this, how do you reason with a monster? You know, and so, um, you know this this uh, this this poor kid that just went through this thing didn't ask for it. You know, was just trying to help his sister move into this house in Newtown, and uh, and suddenly his whole life changed, and ultimately changed the life of uh, his sister's boyfriend. Now, I don't know if you can you can speak on it, but personally, what do you think? Do you think that the case that the the Warrens, you know, brought up or did, whatever you want to word it, do you think that that was a valid case? Do you think that is an open and shut case of demonic possession? With this, with the boy David, I kind of do okay. because David went through uh, exorcisms by priests. And again, this is the Catholic boy in me speaking. Yeah. You can't knock on the door of the church and say, can I get an exorcism around three after my haircut? Right. <laughs> like they don't do that. They, there's a, a medical examination, a psychiatric, psychiatric evaluation. Uh, it takes, uh, it's a long road to get your exorcism and it's a process. And yeah. David went through that. So I'm inclined to believe that this small town church in, in Brookfield, Connecticut, uh, followed those steps. David was went through you know multiple exorcisms and that was legit. Now there was a moment when Arnie had jumped on David when he was being attacked and said, you know, pick on someone your own size, yeah. take me. And Lorraine Warren would tell you that's the moment he opened the door to this as an invitation to this thing. And so now, you know, keep in mind things calmed down for months and the night of the murder, February 1981, um, there was drinking involved by everyone's account, like they, they were drinking with their boss. But then uh, Arnie seems to have no recollection of this thing. And this event, this this horrible event that sure. left the man dead like yeah. that. And, and by the way, the first murder in Brookfield history, the town had never had a murder. Yeah, that's how small that town is, uh, you know, so really small. And um, and for the police, it looks pretty open and shut. A couple guys drinking all day. There's a fight. Someone had a knife. Someone's dead. Yeah. Yeah, it looked pretty simple. And then the Warrens jumped in and said, wait a minute, we think this is bigger than that. And, uh, and, and you know, um, trying to bring in priests and exorcists and demonologists to put them on the stand as, as, and offer expert testimony and start this whole dialogue about, uh, and to me, like, what's even more interesting, you know, you, you, you start to ask questions, you have to ask questions about, okay, if there's a God, and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, you know, so help you God, the church, the court believes in God, uh, do we have to accept the devil? And uh, if that's the case, if the devil made him do it, does that mean we don't have free will? Oh, yeah, it's a basic tenet of all religions and belief systems is you have free will and choose to do good or choose to do bad. 
And if you choose to do bad, you get punished in this life or the next. If you choose to do good, you get rewarded in this life or the next. And so if you don't, if we don't have free will, then that, then like basically you throw billions of people's belief system out the window, right? Yeah, that's opening up a huge can of worms. Oh, definitely. Now, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about your own paranormal research, because like I said for this episode or for this podcast, I do a lot of paranormal research, uh, go to a lot of places, and it's a very difficult thing to do because, again, the Internet is all over the case with it. (laughs) Um, How did did you get into uh, being like the paranormal researcher for, say, like Ghost Adventures or something like that? Yeah, so I started, uh, I was interested from a kid, you know, growing up in Lorraine, but I went to school to be a writer and I started as a journalist. And so I was writing for newspapers and magazines and around October, you go looking for ghost stories. Yep. And that, that was my favorite feature to write. And so, you know, you go to the haunts, you interview the people, you find the backstory. I interviewed the Warrens and uh, this was the mid nineties, you know, and then I started a website called ghostvillage.com back in 1999. And I put a couple of my articles up and I said, Hey, tell me about your ghost experiences. And then that just blew up. And then I started writing books uh, in 2004. And then Ghost Adventures came along in 2008. And Zach's like, hey, I need someone who knows haunts all over the world. And you've written all these books. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. You know, sure. Eight episodes. That all, that's yeah. all it's going to be is eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, we got started in that. And, and it, it's, it's weird. You know, one day I woke up and I went, oh, man, I, my full time job is is looking for paranormal and like how cool is that? It wasn't a plan. It just sort of evolved that way. See, I like that. I like that. That's how it kind of just fell into your lap again. Not free will. It's just that was destined to be your thing to do. Um, yeah, but- it's a great. And it's a subject that so much of the human experience intersects. Right? You've got oh, yeah. science, religion, spirituality, history, psychology, philosophy, like all of this stuff that's on the fringe. Uh, or, or deemed on the fringe, like it, it's actually a very safe place to talk about super huge issues like life after death. See, Are we alone yeah. in the universe? Do we know every creature that walks the earth with us? We get to explore those big questions in the realm of the paranormal. I like that you said it's a safe place because I get that all the time with my podcast. I do a live episode every week ever since the pandemic. I've been doing a live episode every week where people can call in and tell their own personal paranormal stories. A, because I like to hear people's paranormal stories. But sure. B, it, it's they, they say, you know, this is a safe place. I know if I tell my story, you're going to listen. You might not believe it, but you're going to listen, <laughs> you know, and it's that safe place that I really like. But how does how does the world of reality TV paranormal, what did you think it was going to be like? And how is it how is it like since you've been doing it for a while? Let me ask it that way. Well, I can only speak from the shows I've worked on, like Ghost Adventures, sure. you know, and so uh, I respect that Zach you know, there's been locations we wanted to do. And we're like, oh man, you know, the internet says like a school bus full of nuns blew up and like, yep. you know, and so, yeah, I, and then I'll get back to him. I'm like, hey man, I looked and that, that didn't happen. Like it wasn't there. And you go, okay, we let it pass, right? You, you, you let it go. And so um, we don't make up history, right? Like, so if, if a place has a backstory, um, they investigate and whatever happens, happens at that point. But um, my job is to keep them, get them armed with, this is the history of the location. Here are the people that have had experiences. I've, I've sort of pre-interviewed them. Um, and, and this is, they'll say, I was standing here and I saw this. You may not believe them, but, sure. th- but, but in general, you know, when you, I've been doing, I've talked to so many people over the years, there's something in someone's voice 
you could tell when they've kind of been shaken up by, by an experience. Yeah. And that's what I listen for. And, and you hear it a lot where someone's just like, look, I don't know if there's such a thing as ghosts, but this man walked down the stairs and he vanished right in front of me. And I ran out of there petrified. And I'm like, yeah, no such thing as ghosts, but this is good, right? Yep. Labels, yeah. labels. No, yeah. I, I love those. Those are my favorite ones where, yeah. where someone says, right. I, but I still don't believe in ghosts. I'm like, you just, okay. you gave me a 15 minute story about the scariest ghost encounter that's ever heard. And then you go, eh, but I still don't believe in ghosts. I'm like, how, how, you know, how do you rationalize that? I guess it's their only way to rationalize it. That's how they do it. That's yeah. how they sleep at night is, is to sort of say like, well, it's just a story fine if that's what you got to do and that's why you know i don't try to convince anybody of anything like yeah but but you can you know i i can't show you where the ghosts are per se i wish i could i wish i had one in a jar and i could be like here i'm gonna let it out everybody watch but i can show you where they've left a mark yeah right uh, that yeah. you can still see and the mark is when you hear from debbie glatzel about watching her brother get attacked when you hear from arnie johnson talking about how he doesn't recall killing somebody like that it's missing from his his databanks there how the police you know find this guy dazed and you get to hear from them so you know that that is where they've been and and that that mark is going to stick around for a long time oh sure oh god yeah I, I mean you know i've i've talked to and i know you've you've talked to david omen as well for the omen house i know ghost adventures have been there yeah um it, there's you know, believe him or not, there's a lot of people that listen to my episode and don't believe him, and that's fine. Um, I just want to tell his story, and so I let him tell his story. But there, you're right. There's something in that voice. There's something in the way that they're remembering that you just go, okay, it's real to them, and that's what right. I like. Yeah, and that's that's what we do, right? That's what yeah. we do is is to try to just you know document these stories and uh, you know find out what we can. Um, but it's, you know, and that's all we can do sometimes, right? It's yeah. just try to take a snapshot of what's going on right now and and present it uh, for posterity. And and because people are going to eventually pass away and the stuff passes into legend. And yeah. at that point, the, the story is going to keep evolving and changing. So if we can get it from the people who saw it and lived it, all the better. Oh, definitely. Now, do you or have you thought about investigating some of the cases that the, the Warrens passed on or maybe didn't really delve into too deeply? Is there a case, a paranormal case that you're like, this is the one that I really, really want to, to dive into? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't go looking for anyone else's cases, right? Oh, okay. So it, yeah, it, it's just something hits my desk and stirs me inside. You know what I mean? And sure. I, it's hard to explain, but it's a physiological reaction. When someone says like, oh, you know, there's a cold spot in, in my basement. I'm like, okay, you know, all right. <laughs> I get That's maybe not for me, but, sure. uh, you know, but then sometimes you hear something and, and maybe it's like a historic location, but there's something about the story that I go, ooh, and like my gut turns a little. Yeah. And I go, I at least, I at least got to get there and learn more. And, and maybe the Warrens have been there before. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. But like, all I can do is investigate it my way find the witnesses find the history and put it all together so that's interesting do you, so do you will you find a story that you're like oh that there's that hook i want to check into this one more i'm i'm assuming you do what i do you go to the internet you see all the information you can find and you kind of disseminate what's real and what is obviously regurgitated bs from this website to this website to this website <laughs> right right but uh but do you use any of that basic information or do you want to do you want to start clean well, so, I mean, I look at everything, you know, so uh, what's, so if someone says like, oh, there's a, a six headed ghost in the attic, 
well, why six? Why, you know, like, how yeah, did we yeah, get to yeah. there? Like, how did we get to right now is my question. And so uh, to me, that's, that's how you, you tell a true haunt. You start right now and then you go back in time and figure it out. And you go, oh, actually there were six people who lived in that attic. Oh, that's interesting. Sure. So the number six came up again. I don't think it's a six headed ghost, but like, you know what I mean? You start to like un unravel this stuff. Uh, I use newspaper archives, yes. talk to local historical societies, um, talk to the people who live and work there. Sometimes they're like, oh, you know who has like the old, uh, all the old clippings of the, the journal entries is Mabel down the street. And you run over to Mabel's house see, and you go, hey, like. you know, Tommy said I should see you. And then you get this treasure trove of information. And, and so from there, you just, you know, the thing is research never ends, right? No, You'll never God find no. yeah. everything, right? But you can, you can just keep adding, you know, unraveling and adding more and more to the story. Oh, definitely. No, and that's the thing that I like to do that I, I like to, I, I like to, like I said, I like to do the research and and just kind of tell the story how it is, but there's those stories that really hook you. Uh, so before we wrap up, and I, I know it's getting to the end, and I thank you so much for being on the show, by the way. I really do appreciate it. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having me. So can you at least tell me about um, the urban legends? You talk a lot about like the New England urban legends and legends in general, what was it that made you go like, that's what I want to do? Was there a paranormal, something that happened to you personally, or is it just something that's fun? So I, I remember being a kid and, you know, there's like this cursed headstone in the cemetery across the street from my buddy's house, you know, and, and you knock on it three times at midnight and you don't think the witch is going to jump out, but still you go over there at midnight and you let you dare each other, you know, and yeah. you're just like, uh, I don't want to do it. You do it. You know? <laughs> and, and so there's that part of you that just sort of doubts. And I'm so fascinated. Like how, why is a place haunted? Why are there monsters in the woods? How did we get there? How did we get to that story? And sometimes you go back and by the way, sometimes you go back and go, Oh, that explains it. Other times you go back and you go, Ooh, this, this thing runs really deep. And, yeah. and you know, there's a, there's a place in New Hampshire called haunted Lake. Like that's what it's called. Go look on Google maps, right? Like, Haunted Lake. And it turns out it was called that in like the 1730s. Like this, this runs deep, deep, deep. And, and, you know, I find these old history books of, of the history of the town and, and you find out like, oh my gosh, they were calling it Haunted, Haunted Lake in the 1730s. Uh, and, and I just, you just have to ask why. And, and you start to look at everything that transpired around this lake, um, that it, it not only had the reputation, but it, uh, somewhere along the way, officially got the name. I love it. I love it. Th again, thank you. Is there anything you want to plug? I'm more than happy to have you. You know, here's your chance to plug anything. Where can people <laughs> find you? All that fun stuff. Yeah, no, appreciate it. You can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook and uh, and Instagram at Exploring Legends. And, um, you know, my podcast is New England Legends. And please watch The Devil Made Me Do It on Discovery+. Plus. It's um, It's so great. It's such an opportunity to set the record straight uh, roughly the same time that the Hollywood movie came out um, to find out what really happened in this really compelling case. I love it. Thank you again. I really can't thank you enough. It's been fantastic talking with you. I wanted to talk to you for a while anyway, so I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kurt. Have a great one. Thank you so much. You too. Well, once again, I want to thank Jeff Bellinger for coming on the show and chatting with me. Absolutely fantastic guy. Definitely check out all of the stuff that he does because he does a lot of stuff for the paranormal, and I appreciate that. Uh, he sounds like he's a researcher like myself. Sounds like he wants to be skeptical believer like myself. Um, Jeff, open invitation. Anytime you want to come on the show and do another episode, I would absolutely love to have you back on the show for a full interview about everything, not just the Warrens. Devil made me do it. All righty. With that being said, what do you guys think? 
Do you think that Arnie Johnson was possessed by a demon and that's why he murdered? Do you think that Arnie Johnson just accidentally killed a guy and used the possession because he had been there to witness that kid being possessed and, you know, he had a ready-made excuse on him? Do you think that he was innocent? Do you think that he was guilty? Do you think that uh, he was possessed? What do you guys think? I don't... I don't know where I land on this one. I'll be honest. I don't know where I land on it. I want, I'll put it this way. I want to believe Arnie. I really do. I want to believe Arnie. Never been in trouble prior. Sure, he'd been drinking that night. You know, things do happen when people go out drinking. You know, it was a mistake maybe. Who knows? You know, tempers got heated or whatever. But um, I don't know what to believe on this one. I definitely believe that the Warrens believe that Arnie was possessed. I definitely believe that... The Warrens believed that the demon possessed the kid and Arnie opened himself up for it. I can get behind that. I can believe that. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But based on the stuff that I've seen and the people I've heard talk about it and the eyewitnesses talk about it, the Warrens talk about it, it's possible. I'll just put it that way. It is possible that he was possessed and, you know, Arnie was innocent and served five years in prison something that a demon made him do and if that is the case boy that's a fucked up way to go to prison isn't it what a messed up way to go to prison being you know possessed by a demon but what do you guys think all righty once again i want to thank jeff bellinger check out that shock doc it's on discovery plus now the devil made me do it go and check it out listen to his podcast after you listen to all my episodes of podcast obviously uh thank him once again thank you once again and once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Oh, so I said we need to move. I did.